The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. I don't know how it is in your family, but when our kids have a birthday, Trish and I kind of split the duties. Trish is in charge of decorating the house at night, making it nice and pretty, and and she's also in charge of uh, making the nice breakfast for their birthday boy or birthday girl. My job is to get the birthday gift, to go out in the shop, but also to arrange the birthday party and to kind of set it up and all of those things. Sometimes she helps me invite, but I'm in charge of the birthday party. And usually we have friends over and we play games and we do pizza and we we do presents and all that stuff and it's a great time. Well, this past year, I decided to switch some things up for Corbin's birthday. And I just say, you know, instead of having a birthday party, I'm going to take him and Caleb and one of Corbin's friends to the Blizzard game. And so I took him to the Green Bay Blizzard game, and it was a great time. And many of you actually joined us for that time as well. And uh, we got home. It was a great time. Next day, as a family, we opened up presents. We celebrated his birthday. But as time went by, Corbin was sad. And I, I asked him, Corbin, what's wrong? And he goes, why didn't I have a birthday party this year? And I go, well, you did. We went to the Blizzard game. He goes, but I wanted a birthday party, you know, where all my friends come over and we have fun and we do pizza and do presents. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Fail, right? That, that's one of those fail images. I failed as a father. You know, I was putting together his birthday celebration according to my terms, according to what I thought would be good for him. I never imagined of actually asking him, hey, would you like to do this for your birthday? That would make way too much sense, right? I was celebrating his birthday on my terms and not on his terms. Well, Wednesday, we celebrate the birth of Christ, right? Have you ever paused to ask Jesus, How do you want us to celebrate your birthday? You know, all of us have our traditions, our family traditions, our personal preferences, the things that we enjoy on Christmas Day, exchanging of gifts, meals that we like to have every year. And those are great. But have you ever stopped to ask Jesus, how would you want us to celebrate your birthday? Well, today we are going to look at Jesus' first birthday party, and it wasn't a Green Bay Blizzard game. But there were a lot of friends there. Um, If you would, please open up to Luke chapter 2. It will be, we'll be looking at verse 8 through 20. If you are in the Red Bible, it is page 857. If you are in the Children's Bible, it is page 1245. Today, we are uh, not going to look at the birth of Christ. We'll look at that on Tuesday at the Christmas Eve service. Instead, today, we're going to look at the response to the birth of Christ. And from that, try to answer the question, how would Jesus have us celebrate his birthday? So we're going to start in verse 7 just to give us some context, and then we'll focus on verse 8 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she, being Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Lord God, as we approach Christmas, three days away, we are a distracted people. Uh, We confess it every Sunday because it's still true. We're distracted by getting gifts for loved ones, by buying the right food for the celebrations, setting up travel arrangements, and all of these are good things. But we come today to your text to ask you, how do you want us to celebrate your birthday? How do you want us to celebrate your birth? Guide our hearts this day. In Christ's name, amen. So we have walked through Advent this year, the four Sundays of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent was the Sunday of hope, and we let the candle of hope, and that was the Sunday that Dan Breed came and preached and then had his hope dashed on the football field that afternoon. (laughs) The second Sunday of Advent was the prophecy candle, and we looked at, Luke, at Isaiah chapter 9 and saw the prophecies of Christ and the hope of Christ to a country that had been dismantled, to a people that had been spread out. The, the third Sunday of Advent, which we looked at last week, is the Sunday of joy. And we lit the candle of joy. And we looked at the Song of Mary, this explosion of joy, this Magnificat, and the truce that led her to great joy. Today, the fourth week of Advent, we focus on the shepherds and the angels. And today, as we focus on the response of the shepherds and the angels to the birth of Christ, they will show us, they will give us a glimmer of what it means to celebrate the birth of Christ today. As we look at this passage, we will see that a proper response to the birth of Christ is for us to praise like the angels to seek like the shepherds, and to treasure like the mother. Praise like the angels, seek like the shepherds, and treasure like the mother. First, praise like the angels. We're going to camp on this part for a while, and uh, because if anybody in this story gets it right, 
it's going to be the angels. It's going to be the ones that aren't filled with sin, that aren't distracted by everything else going on. It's going to be by those, the angels, that grasp what is going on, okay? So we're going to spend a lot of time on this first point, looking at praising like the angels. So in verse 8, it says, in the same region where the, shepherd, where the shepherds out in the field, the same region that Christ was born. And they were keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, I want to pause to ask the question, why were they filled with fear? And what we'll see is the answer to this question will actually help us understand why the angels were praising that first Christmas day. See, fear was a common reaction to the angels. The shepherds weren't the only ones that responded with fear when they saw an angel. If you remember just a chapter prior, Zechariah, the high priest, goes into the temple and an angel appears to him and it says, fear fell upon him. An angel then appears to Mary and it says she is greatly troubled and the angel reassures her and says, do not be afraid. And so what is it about these angels that strike fear in the hearts of people? Well, the simple answer is their brilliance, right? I mean, if you were in the middle of a dark field and something bright started to shine, it would cause terror in your hearts. But there's actually a deeper answer even than that. We see in Matthew 28, it talks about the brilliance of the angels. It says that when the angel appears, it was appearing like lightning, that their clothes were white as snow. We see the source of this brilliance is not from the angels themselves, but from God himself. Even in our passage today, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think of those glow-in-the-dark books, you know, that you, or balls or whatever it might be. You hold it up to the light, you let it gain the light energy or whatever it is, and then you turn off the light and it glows. For some reason, being in the presence of God, the glory of God, makes these creatures glow, and it is startling to people. If you remember, the same thing happened to Moses. Moses went to talk with God, and he came down the mountain in Exodus 34, and we read that Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Now what is interesting to me is whenever the glory of the Lord shines out of people, people are afraid, or angels, or whatever they shine out of, people are afraid, except in the creation and in the new creation. In the Garden of Eden and in the new heavens and new earth. We read in the new heavens and new earth that the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. The glory of God lights heaven. There's no need of sun. It is the source of warmth, the source, source of guidance, the source of seeing. It is not something to be feared. It's something that people enjoy, that they rely upon. Back in the Garden of Eden, if you remember, Adam and Eve walked with God and they were not afraid. They enjoyed intimate fellowship with God. But all of that changed when they rebelled against God. All of it changed when they ate the forbidden fruit. We read that the Lord God, after they had sinned against him, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. And so what we see is that when people are holy and happy, they have no fear of the glory of God. 
But in the midst of a fallen world, when man sees just the reflection of God off of an angel, just sees the end of his robe, they are struck with overpowering fear. Why? Because the appearance, the the brightness, the brilliance of God displays his holiness, his awesomeness, his mightiness, his greatness, his grandeur. And just a glimpse of God's greatness causes utter terror on sinners like us. Have you ever noticed in your life that when you come up to someone who is greater than you, it strikes fear in your heart, it changes your behavior. Let me give you an example. I like to play basketball, as many of you know, and I play basketball with my kids sometimes, one's seven, one's five, and to say I'm confident would be an understatement, right? I'm making shots, I'm talking smack, I'm blocking shots, you know, it's, I'm confident, you know? I got them! But, as I've had the privilege of doing last year, well, one time, I'll just put it this way. One time I was playing noon ball at the Y, and I got to guard, I don't know his name. You guys probably know. It was a Green Bay Phoenix player that decided to transfer, but he was leading the Horizon League in three-point percentage. He was intense. He was amazing, and I got to guard him. My mouth was shut. <laughs> I didn't talk any smack at all. I was dribbling basketball off my knee. I was tripping over my feet. His greatness revealed my patheticness, right? You see, greatness reveals nothingness. Kirby kind of operates on this principle as well. How many of you have ever had a Kirby person come into your house? Anyone? All right. That was a mistake, right? But anyways, sorry. So what do they do? They come into your house to give you a free cleaning, right? To clean one room for free. And what they do is they come in and they say, all right, take your vacuum, clean the carpet, right? And so you vacuum over the carpet or they do it for you. And then they put your pathetic vacuum cleaner away and they pull out the magical Kirby, right? And they bring out this magical Kirby, right? I mean, same for everyone. And they go and they just do one row, right? And then, aha, they pull out this compartment and there's this coffee filter. And this coffee filter is full of dirt, right? Because they just vacuumed the carpet that you had just vacuumed with your vacuum. And then they do this 20 or 30 times and then allow all these coffee filters with all of this dirt. Why? Just to show you how pathetic your vacuum cleaner is and how great the Kirby is, right? You see, the greatness of one thing shows how pathetic another thing is. Here's the point. When Zachariah when Mary, when the shepherds, when you and I get just a glimpse, just a glimpse, just a reflection of the glory and majesty of God, just a glimpse, it shows how small we are. See, God's beauty reveals our ugliness, doesn't it? Just a glimpse of the reflection of God's power shows our weakness. Just a glimpse of the reflection of God's brilliance shows our darkness. The reflection of God's holiness reveals our sinfulness. When we see God for who he really is, it is then and only then that we see ourselves for who we really are. 
And it is paralyzing because it is at that time that we see that we do not belong in the presence of a holy God. We don't even deserve to serve a holy God because his brilliance, his greatness is so much greater than us. The passage continues. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. There's a lot in that term. We'll dig into it a little bit more. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news. Literally, I bring you gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You know, although none of us have probably ever designated ourselves this way, Scripture says that we are born enemies of God, that our soul wages war against God, that every time we pursue sin, it is idolatry, that every time we disobey God, it is cosmic treason. In Colossians 1.21, it says we were alienated from God. We were hostile towards God. That means that we are not only victims of the brokenness of the world, we are actually active participants in the rebellion against God. All of us know in the depth of our heart that we have rebelled against God. That's why we justify our sin. That's why we explain it to ourselves, why it is okay that we do what we do. That's why we try to make our good outweigh our bad, because we know that there is a holy and righteous God and that there is terror that comes upon us when we see the depth of our own sin. Such rebellion, when faced with the brilliance of God, is struck with terror because we assume that God has come to destroy us, that God has come to bring his justice, that God has come for retribution. But the angels say, fear not. Yes, you are enemies of God. Yes, you have rebelled against God, but fear not. Why? Because God has not come to smite us, but to save us. God has not come to wage war, but to secure shalom between us and him. God has not come in human form as the ultimate warrior, but as the prince of peace. And that prince of peace came to pay the price of peace. Colossians 1.19, we read it earlier. We can read it again up here on the screen. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. This is the good news that the angels saw, that the price of peace was satisfied by the prince of peace, this baby Jesus. Christmas means God has not come to wage war as he should, but he comes to bring peace as he desires. And it all comes through this baby. There's a story of two missionaries who in 1962 went over to New Guinea. Their names were Don and Carol Richardson. And they went to share the good news of Christ with a group of people called the Sawi. The Sawi tribe were headhunters. They were cannibalists, not the most hospitable people in the world, I'm guessing. 
They would often take the skulls of their victims and use them as pillows. And so they started to minister to this tribe. And as Don read through the gospel of Matthew, they rejoiced when they heard of Judas's betrayal. This was how hard their hearts were towards the love of God. This missionary struggled to share the greatness of the love of God. And then one day he witnessed this solemn ceremony. There were two tribes warring against each other. And one chief walked up to the other chief and handed him a child. Later, the missionaries found out that what was happening was that one chief was giving his own child to the other tribe. That he was handing him over to create peace between the two tribes. This is unthinkable for us, isn't it? I mean, could you imagine Barack Obama taking his daughter and taking her over to a warring nation and handing her over to a hostile people that are opposed to the United States of America? But this is exactly what the tribes did to engage peace, to create peace between one another. And this child was called the peace child. Suddenly, of course, Don and Carol Richardson knew how to explain the gospel in the cultural context that they were in. This is the good news that the angels saw, that the first Christmas, the angels praised God for giving for God giving his peace child into the hands of a hostile world in order to bring the hostility to an end and to bring peace between God and man. Christ alone, as fully God and fully man, could serve as a representative of both parties and bring peace between the two. Christ alone, by his blood, at the cross, satisfies God's wrath that we might have shalom with him forever. The price of peace was the Prince of Peace, the baby Jesus. And this is what led the angels to praise. The passage continues, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the angel knows they're going to leave and then they know that the shepherds have to go seek them out. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And they said, this will be the sign. This is the child who is the Savior. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You know, it's interesting. I didn't know this, but the term host in there, the heavenly host praising God, this term host was a military term to designate an army. And so literally there are thousands of angelic warriors And they have not come to seek the vengeance of God, but they have come to proclaim peace and to praise God for the peace that he has brought. The angels and the multitude of heavenly hosts understood how great Christmas was. And they praised God for sending his own son, the peace child, to gain peace between God and man. And so what we see here, what the angels are telling us, is to fear not, because they bring good news. They're saying, you know what, to the degree you understand this good news, to the degree you believe it, to the degree that you consume this good news, you will have peace in your heart, because you have peace with God. Let me ask you, are you afraid to die? Have you looked at your life? Have you seen the mistakes you have made and wondered, will God love me? What will God do with me when I come into his presence? 
The degree to that, that you understand Christmas, the degree to which you understand the good news that the angels are proclaiming is the degree to which fear will be cast out of your life and you will have peace with God, not only forensically, legally, but also in your heart. So how should we celebrate Jesus' birthday? Well, we should celebrate by praising God like the angels because God has come to make peace with us. That was the long one. Secondly, we should seek like the shepherds. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. The shepherds' response to this good news is not just to hear it and to sing about it, but to go and see, to seek out the Savior that they heard about. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. You know, it's so interesting because the angels did not at first seek out the good news. The good news sought them out. These angels appeared to them proclaiming the good news. But then the shepherds in response sought out the good news for themselves. They went with haste to go and find Jesus. And then we read after their encounter with this child, their response in verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it had been told to them. The good news sought out the shepherds, but in response, the shepherds sought out the good news. Hearing about Jesus from angels was not enough. They had to see him and experience him for themselves. You know, I remember when the Zip and Pippin first came to town. It took me a long time before I got to go to Bay Beach. And I get to hear from the news source about how amazing this ride is. I get to hear from friends how awesome this ride is. I get to hear from the high school kids who went there how great the Zip and Pippin is. Even Elvis tells me how good the Zip and Pippin is. But none of that was enough. I wanted to experience. I needed to go and see it and write it and experience it for myself. If the testimony of angels was not good enough for the shepherds, why would be the testimony of a preacher be good enough for you? You see, every Sunday we come and we preach the good news so that you will hear the good news and then experience the good news for yourself. God has sought you out and he's calling you to seek him out, to pursue him, to experience him for yourself. Now you may ask, how can I seek out Jesus? How can I experience Jesus in my life? Well, coming to church is a great way to do it. Experiencing him through fellowship, through praise, through the preached word, through the sacraments. But there's more than that. We also experience God through prayer. I mean, imagine how amazing prayer is that this holy God of the universe that causes us great terror, even when we see a glimmer of his greatness, is there for us through our mediary, Jesus Christ, that we get to go and talk to him, that we get to seek advice from him, counsel from him, comfort with him. We get to commune with him. And so we seek out Christ through his church, through prayer, but also through word. You know, if you look at the Bible, it is not a small book. God could have given us his message in a verse. John 3, 16, and let us be. But God wants us to chew on his word. He wants us to be in relationship with him, to grow with him, to meditate 
on his goodness and his greatness. And so he gave us his word that we might experience him. How does Jesus want us to celebrate his birthday? He wants us to praise like the angels, to seek him like the shepherds, and finally treasure like the mother. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, which I don't know what that means. I don't know who all heard it, but evidently there were multiple people. I don't know if there were, you know, people from the inn that were in the, in the nativity or, or passing by the streets or what it was. But it said, and all who heard it, the shepherds, wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary. Now, when they use the word but, there is a contrast. Luke is contrasting the response of all these people who heard it from the shepherds and the response of Mary. Okay, so all of these people wandered at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured. She preserved it. She protected it. She held on to it. She kept it in her memory. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering, considering, engaging, weighing, wrestling with them in her heart. You know, many who hear the shepherd's story wander. Especially in northeastern Wisconsin, in the state of Wisconsin, we have many people that would claim to be Christians. I don't know their hearts, only God does, but we have many people who wander at the story of Christmas, who have great joy at the Christmas season, who think of the coming of Christ, but they never treasure it in their heart. They never ponder the ramifications of what Christmas brings, that this son, Jesus Christ, came, that he is pushing back the effects of the fall, that he is rolling out his redemption, that he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. That upon Christ in his three years of ministry completely changes the world, have led men and women to lay down their own life for him because he has laid down his own life for them. Christ transforms us from the inside out when we treasure him in our heart, when we ponder him anew. You know the famous hymn, Praise to the Lord? It says, ponder anew what the Almighty can do who with his love doth befriend me. This Christmas, do you wander at the lights and the brilliance and the beautiful singing? Do you treasure this baby in your heart? Do you ponder what it means for your life? Do you ponder what implications it has on your life and how it might rejuvenate your life, change your life, save your life? Let me end with this. This Christmas season, I've been struck by how many advertisements I've heard the saying, remember the true reason for the season. Okay, you've heard that? Remember the reason for the season. Yesterday, I was driving in my car, and I, I remember where I was, was, came with a stop sign, and there was this commercial on Sports Talk Radio. And four times in a 30-second ad, it said, remember the reason for the season. Ironically, it was, it was an advertisement for a tattoo parlor. And that 30 seconds, they kept saying, remember the reason for the season. 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 What's ironic, though, in those advertisements, when they tell you to remember the reason for the season, rarely, if ever, they actually tell you the reason for the season. 
They just tell you to remember the reason for the season. Sometimes you will get this spinoff of peace and goodwill towards men, meaning you be peaceful towards people, be, have goodwill towards people. And that is a fruit of the reason for the season, but that is not the true reason for the season. If we want to know the true reason for the season, all we have to do is look at what the angels proclaimed. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You know, it's really interesting. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, we're told that, the, that, the God, that of the gospel, the angels long to look. The angels long to look into this gospel The angels never get past this good news of Christmas. They never get past the amazing love of God for sinners. They don't move on to deeper things. They never cease to be amazed at Christmas. And neither should we. How should we celebrate Christ's birthday? Praising God like the angels. Seeking our Savior like the shepherds. And treasuring this baby like its mother. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that this Christmas would be the most joyful Christmas ever because of our laser focus on you and the glory and the grandeur of the incarnation, that you would become a man, that you would send your angelic army not to destroy us, but to proclaim peace on earth. Lord God, we confess to you that we rebel against you. That we have rebelled against you this year, Lord. That we have rebelled against you this morning, Lord. I wonder how many of us here would be able to confess our desire to not come and worship you this morning. Our desire to worship our own free time, worship our own rest. And yet we are blessed when we come here because you transform our hearts and we praise you for that, God. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would show us the reason for the season, that you would continue to let our hearts wrestle with the glory of the incarnation, that you would become a man, that you would send your child to be the peace child, that we might have peace with you for all eternity. We praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen.